Welcome to the 40 Under 40 podcast with your hosts, Caitlin Cromit and AJ McQuarrie. They are two entrepreneurs who speak to other entrepreneurs under the age of 40, so you can learn from their successes and failures along their journeys of building businesses. 40 Under 40 podcast hopes to educate, motivate, and inspire people to pursue their dreams of starting a business, regardless of age. And now, here are your hosts, Caitlin and AJ. All right. Welcome back to the 40 Under 40 podcast. Caitlin, yeah. we are becoming professionals at We're this. also super famous and viral. Just kidding, but we wish. Yeah, please <laughs> like our podcast. Uh, we'd really appreciate it. Send it to everyone it. you know. Yeah, it's fun. So how have you been, Caitlin? You know, good. It's been a lot lately. It's been a busy time, but you know what? It's all good living that entrepreneurial life, you know? Yeah, you've been busy lately. You got engaged recently. You bought a house. Your business has been doing really well. Like, you're on fire. Oh, stop. Thanks, dude. I mean, there's ups and downs for sure. But, oh my gosh, can I tell you, buying a house, the amount of paperwork, I swear to God, kills like 80 trees. Because, uh, I can only imagine. And it's just ridiculous because it's like we're in the 21st century, right? But we're still like signing paperwork. And were like, you, was it actual paper or was it It was legit digital? a stack of paper the size of my bed. Oh my <laughs> like, God. It's ridiculous. Um, you would think with DocuSign, it would at least be on the digital format. No, I just feel like it's such a waste and it's just so not environmentally friendly. It's like an industry that definitely hasn't caught, caught up to the current day <laughs> well paperwork sucks let's be real yeah which speaking of paperwork sucking our next guest which oh my god I, great I transition know, amazing how we just flowed right into that our next guest found this inefficiency with paperwork and turned it into her business and specifically in something as cool as rock climbing any rock climbing fans out there woo, woo, raise your hand yeah not me but i like it it's fun anyway um she's actually one of my friends from college we were in an entrepreneurship class together started a cute little business south bend indiana was pete Buttigieg the mayor there then yeah he totally was and he he was actually the son of one of our professors so he came in and visited a lot oh my god so cool so our wonderful guest today mary cornfield we went to notre dame together started a little mini business there in entrepreneurship class she has an incredible story to tell so prior to launching Capiton, which is her current rock climbing business, Mary worked at Team Snap, which sells enterprise SaaS to sports organizations to help 22 million users better manage and engage with their athletes globally. First on the sales team, where she was a top performer, hey, hey, before transitioning to the product design team. She just finished a venture for America's startup accelerator in November, where Capitan was named the crowd favorite. Go Mary. Congrats to Mary. Welcome. We're so, so excited to have you here. Welcome, Mary. Thanks for having me. So Mary Cornfield is the co-founder of Capitan and it is an amazing business. And tell us more about that, Mary. Yeah. So Capitan is a platform that makes it easier to manage a climbing gym. So it's all the back office operations, everything from when you first come into a gym and need to sign a waiver your membership, scheduling, all of those types of things. So how did you come up with the idea? Were you into rock climbing? Yeah. So I had been at a company called Team Snap for a few years, which does software for youth sports organizations, mostly in the US and Canada. And I had been on the sales team for a long time and was looking at to move on to the product design team. So I was in a part-time product design class on the side. And the last project was you had to come up with an idea from scratch. Um, and I had been in Colorado for about a year and a half at that time. And eventually caved and decided to join a climbing gym like everyone here um, and I went in and when I decided to actually become a member they handed me a paper form 
I thought that was really strange. So weird a, and inefficient. Yeah. Right. And it's, you know, this huge facility had just opened up a few months ago, um, you know, millions of dollars poured into it. And they gave me a paper form, which, you know, coming from Team Snap, we helped organizations streamline operations and got a lot of user organizations off of paper and things like that. So started looking into it and realized that they weren't unique. Most gyms were using a platform called Rock Gym Pro, about 90% of the industry in the US and UK. Um, and the more I dug in, the more I realized there was just a lot of inefficiencies, not a lot of innovation going on in the space. So did that from my design project and then kind of stuck with it. And I think that's the case for a lot of businesses. It's like you see an inconvenience or like an inefficiency in the way something is run and you're like, you know, I could do this better or like this should definitely be done better. And you kind of ran with that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I always joke that if you had told me 10 years ago that I would start a climbing company, you were crazy. I like vividly remember in middle school going to a climbing wall and I made it up like three feet and I was like, I'm done. (laughs) This is not for me. (laughs) I remember at Notre Dame walking in the racquetball courts with a friend and one of them had been turned into a bouldering cave. My friend goes, I'm thinking of joining the climbing club. And I was like, why would you do that? (laughs) That looks awful. But once I finally, you know, got into the sport, what I think is really cool is it is this blend of physical and, you know, mental problem solving all at once. And there's a huge community aspect to I love. But also when I started looking into the climbing industry, this one big thing that really stood out to me too, was that retention within the fitness industry for most memberships is about 70% for climbing that drops to below 40%. So there's this huge gap. um, And I think it really is because it is this very daunting sport. It's, you know, you can get into CrossFit or yoga at a uh, later age and you have a teacher telling you what to do, holding your hand, kind of explaining all the nuances. But I, you know, when I joined my climbing gym, they just said, go climb. (laughs) I was like, but I don't know how I need someone to help me. So we also think, you know, Gyms have just been hamstrung by bad technology for a long time. So they're just trying to get that sorted out and they can't even go into the engagement communication piece the way they really want to. So we want to give them a solid foundation and then go in that direction. Now, was this your first business or have you always had that entrepreneurial spirit? Yeah, I've always wanted to start a company. Um, well, I guess you can say technically maybe Caitlin and I did start one. Blue we, you know what? <laughs> Blue Bucket was a massive success. Just kidding. It totally was. Power team. It was a great it idea at the time. It won something. <laughs> yeah. Memories. So I think, you know, I've always wanted to, um, after college, I joined a fellowship called Venture for America, where you go work at startups across the country, really with the intention of training, you know, recent college grads, how to be an entrepreneur when you're ready. So worked at a couple of different startups, knew that that was the avenue I wanted to go down, just tried to acquire the skills that I would need when I eventually kind of came up with that idea. So I was really excited when the idea of Capitan came along and my co-founder has started a company before. So he has that experience too. So Venture for America, this is such an, I remember I applied to that. I did not get in, but who's counting? (laughs) Um, But no, I think this is a great concept of like training people how to be an entrepreneur because it's such an intangible concept and nobody really knows because everyone does it differently. Right. So what do you feel like, do you feel like that was really valuable for you to go to? Definitely. I mean, the founder, Andrew Yang, who now people know because he casually runs for president. (laughs) for oh my god I didn't realize that oh wow okay (laughs) have you met him so clueless yeah yeah he's amazing yeah things but um so his whole premise was if you want to start a company you know don't go work in consulting don't go work in banking which is usually the narrative that a lot of people told go work at a startup because that's how you actually learn to start a company um so I think you know the couple of startups that I worked through that and then afterwards even 
that role I got through uh, Venture for America alumni, you learn a ton of like what to do and then sometimes more importantly, what not to do. Um, but I think, you know, one of the companies I was, I was at was a five person startup or I was the fifth person um, in Miami. And so you just kind of have to do everything out of necessity because there's five of you and you don't have a marketing team. So now I'm doing email marketing and all that stuff. And I yeah, think- you wear all the hats. Yeah, all of them. And so now I think, you know, that has been really helpful, um, you know, as I'm starting out, like, you know, some days I'm our lawyer and trying to make our privacy policy, <laughs> some days I'm PR <laughs> reaching out. So it's just kind of, you know, everything. And I think that ambiguity, you just get um, a lot more comfortable with it working at other companies that have gone through the same thing. How do you manage all those hats as an entrepreneur? Do you have a great team? Do you have great systems? What keeps you going? Yeah. So it's just me and my co-founder right now. Um, so not a large team. He's the technical co-founder. So actually builds out the product. I do kind of everything else. So product design, marketing, you know, PR, I guess, legal, I guess, kind of operations. You know, sometimes it is one of those things that, you know, I don't know that we necessarily always have a grand plan for some things, but like a customer, a potential customer will ask, you know, can I see your privacy policy? And you're like, I will get one. Like I will go. Into oh my gosh. That. I feel like exactly. I do that all the time. <laughs> Literally yeah. just fake it till you make it. You kind of are like, yeah, for sure. I have that. And then you go yeah. and like, okay. <laughs> Template, Google. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> are, so are you doing this full time now? Yep, I am full time. Okay. So what was that leap like, like to relying on yourself essentially to, you know, make it on your own? Was it scary? What were the, like, what were the challenges with that? Yeah, it was kind of an interesting story to go full time. So me and my co-founder had both been working on it part-time for a while, about a year at that point. We were both happy working on it part-time. I had an amazing boss at TeamSnap, who's also the co-founder of TeamSnap, that loved that I had this passion project on the side and was trying to build it into a company. So all things were going great. We're about to start piloting our first version of the app in some climbing gyms in the U.S. last March. All climbing gyms in the world shut down in March, which was what? a nice little yeah. Yeah, byproduct. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that little thing. Um, and as you know, one pro climber said, when you think of essential businesses and essential jobs, climbers pretty low on that list. So <laughs> How did you adapt uh, to that? Well, a couple of things. So one, the company I was at before, Team Snap, was used sports, which also didn't do so hot in the pandemic. So they furloughed half the company. And I was wow. part of that. So it became this, you know, decision. Do I look for another job and keep working on this full time? Or do I think this is like finally the push and there's never going to be a right time to go full-time? So it almost um, like forced you into this, kind of. Kind it was of, a yeah. message from the universe, totally. <laughs> totally. Yeah, it was, you know, maybe. COVID wasn't obviously great for the climbing industry. And so it was this weird decision, you know, do I go full-time and an idea when literally 100% of the industry is closed right now? But timing kind of worked out really well. And back to Venture for America, one of the programs they have is an accelerator. So the timing worked out and decided to apply to that. So got into that program to kind of, yeah, make it easier to make that leap to go full-time. And that kind of keeps you afloat. Yeah, exactly. So the VFA one's a little bit different. They don't take equity and they don't provide investment. They give you kind of a living stipend. So really their whole idea is they want to de-risk the idea of going full-time. Can you actually just explain really quickly to the audience what an accelerator is? Because I know what it is. I think Caitlin knows, but I don't think everybody knows what it is. Yeah. So they're all a little bit different, but essentially it's about 12 weeks of programming where they bring in people from all different industries to talk to you about things that are like common to starting a company. So everything from, you know, lawyers talking about incorporation to, you know, marketing experts, just all people within the tech industry. Usually it's really common for accelerators to also give you an investment. So YC kind of made it famous. They give you $100,000 and take 
think 7% of your company. Techstars is another big one, but VFA takes people a little bit earlier on. So really just trying to get people to, you know, jump into entrepreneurship that maybe were a little bit hesitant to do so. That's great. Cause it's almost like a low risk way to find out if you can do this, like if you can make this your life. So are you still in that or are you out of it now? Yeah. So that ran from about August to November that ended with demo day where Capitan was voted the crowd favorite, which is exciting. Oh, um, snap. Congrats. Yeah, congrats. <laughs> and so through that, and then another program through VFA where we did a pitch competition, we got a little bit of grant financing. So I've been full-time on it, just working on it then. And then some early customers kind of gave us enough revenue to make me believe that I didn't need to look for another job. <laughs> Isn't that the best feeling? Like, what was that like when you got your first paying customer and you're like, wow, someone actually wants this. It's been pretty wild. So back to your question, AJ, about you know how we pivoted with COVID. So the initial idea of Capitan was actually to work on kind of a climb logging and engagement platform. We knew we wanted to take down the behemoth incumbent because we thought there was a lot of things that they weren't doing well. But when you talk to people, they would you know list off a litany of complaints they had about it. It wasn't fully cloud-based. The API didn't really work. It was just clunky. It was hard to use, but it did everything. So for a gym to move away, you know, to something that does waivers really well isn't appealing if it can't also do memberships. So we decided like, look for the blue space. And we saw the climb logging and engagement as an opportunity. So we were going to start there with always the intention of like going into waivers and memberships later on. All gyms closed. So it made it hard to test climb logging. And so we were kind of deciding like, what do we do next? And my co-founder is actually based in the UK and was climbing outdoors and ran into someone that runs one of the largest climbing gyms in London and was talking to him. And there was kind of rumblings about when gyms were going to be allowed to reopen. And the big thing that was going to happen too was now that gyms were going to need to require reservations. Essentially it used to be come as you want, but with new social distancing requirements, that just wasn't going to fly anymore. And they needed a scheduler, which is going to be more friction to the process. And the incumbents scheduler is not very good. So it was going to be even more friction. So we talked to him and we showed him a little prototype we hobbled together really quickly and he liked it. And so in about a month from when we showed him that prototype to actually running in their gym was about a month. And they ended up doing about $300,000 in reservations because in the UK, you pay every wow. time you go pretty typically. Yeah. It's pretty and about 14,000 reservations. Oh that's huge. That yeah. and that's a big deal to get such a big customer so early. Yeah. And I think it just showed that the climbing industry for a long time, it was really niche and small. So it didn't make sense for a new competitor to enter the market but these climbing gyms have become these huge businesses with you know doing millions of dollars a year and so after that we had told him we we're actually working on this climb logging thing and he was like oh well that's interesting but have you thought about you know a schedule or beyond a schedule or doing memberships doing waivers and so the more we talked to him we realized that there's some people that used you know all aspects of rock gym pro and then there were some that used some of it and particularly the bigger gyms were kind of frustrated at the limitations so they had hobbled together their own system so we brought him on board, another gym in the UK and one in the US and decided to kind of build it out um, and have been spending the last, I guess, six or months of doing that. Awesome. So you and Caitlin are both smarty pants. You're uh -huh. Notre Dame grads, <laughs> which is super impressive. So how important was school for your business? To be honest, I don't know if you know, <laughs> you feel the same way, Caitlin. Sometimes I don't know. I think it was important in ways that were tangential. So I actually got my first internship at a startup when I was working at Notre Dame. So I learned a lot there. And that's when I realized this kind of, you know, idea I'd had for a long time, actually, maybe was what I really wanted to do. I studied finance. So 
that didn't really pay off in a lot of ways. Didn't go into banking. Oh my god, I forgot you studied finance. Yeah, but reading financial statements—that's a very useful skill set to have, and as an entrepreneur, isn't it? But like, honestly, how much yeah. of that sticks? Like, I feel like, yeah, I feel the same way. It's almost like you really learn when you're doing, and not when you're like learning. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think, you know, Notre Dame opened a lot of doors, which were really helpful. So I also um, interned at like the investment office. I had kind of a quasi internship, I guess. It was also kind of a class with the Irish Angels, which was an investment network associated with Notre Dame. So it definitely opened a lot of doors and had some, they didn't call it that, but I guess kind of more product design-esque classes, <laughs> like user research. So it helped in some ways, but, you know, looking back, sometimes I always wonder, you know, should I have invested all that money in Notre Dame or could I have that for my company right now? <laughs> oh my gosh, that's, that's so true. Yeah. yeah, I do feel like it's like the network that, yeah, the doors that it opens and 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 really the network. I mean, heck, we would have never met. Yeah, <laughs> I know it's a huge life-changing relationship. <laughs> um, no, that's really cool. So you as an entrepreneur, what does your typical day look like for those of you who have normal jobs out there and don't know what an entrepreneur does? <laughs> kind of all over the place. So it's a little bit dictated by, in a lot of ways, what customers want. I remember actually Andrew Yang saying the biggest misconceptions about entrepreneurs is that you are your own boss. And he's like, you are the furthest from your own boss. You do not control what you do. It's, you know, so customers true. are asking for a particular feature uh, that I need to mock up or, you know, just answering their calls, hopping on demos with prospective customers. So honestly, they kind of dictate the day to day. In a lot of ways. Can you tell us more little pieces of wisdom you've learned from Andrew Yang? Sorry, I'm fangirling right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so another big one that always stuck with me is the way Venture for America starts is before you actually go and work at these startups, you go to a five-week training camp, which back in the day was at Brown University in Providence. And I remember him getting up one day and saying, because a lot of people are still figuring out their jobs. And he said, you know, half of you will end up in sales roles and you'll hate it because you hear of all your friends going off to all these really cool jobs. They're in consulting, they're in, you know, banking, they're in, you know, these really cool engineering jobs. Um, and you're, you know, picking up the phone and calling people, trying to get them to buy stuff. But his big, you know, lesson or kind of thing that he wanted to impart on us is that our entire career will be sales. If you are an entrepreneur from actually selling your first customer being the obvious one, but, you know, selling my co-founder, getting him to believe that it's worth, you know, taking up 40 hours a week of his spare time to work on this other idea to, you know, pitching investors if you want to go down that route. So I actually did get a sales role after BFA, the company I was at, Team Snap. And I still think that was one of the most beneficial jobs I've had. It just helps in so many ways beyond just customer relationships. Um, so yeah, that was a big one from him. Yeah, that makes sense. Cause now that you're literally relying on yourself to make, like, there's nobody that's going to guarantee you a salary or benefits. Yeah. I think that was sometimes <laughs> the scariest part for me is like, I've never had like a normal job and I get jealous, you know, sometimes of like my friends <laughs> who are like, oh, we can just take a week off and like still get paid. And I'm like, mm, that must be nice. Like if I take a week off, like there's no one guaranteeing that I'm going to get paid, you know? So yeah. do you ever have those feelings of like, man, I miss like the corporate life or like, I want to go to a normal job because it's cushy and you don't have to stress, you know, as much? No, definitely. I know this summer, like after junior year, I did a traditional kind of consulting-esque internship with like one of the big firms. That's right. I, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> I remember going in on like the last week and the PPD or partner uh, that I was kind of, or it was my mentor 
talking about the career path at the firm and what it would look like. And he like literally wrote down all the different titles I would have over the next 10 years and the salary that I would get with each of them. I was like, okay, how would I get from, you know, wow. just consultant to senior consult? And then he goes, I take your pulse in two years. I was like, interesting. It's like <laughs> Not so really... mapped out. Wow. Yeah. And it just kind of wasn't for me. And there was definitely days where I've been at other startups that I worked at and my own were sometimes you know, I wish I had that stability to your point. Um, but I think I just would have gotten bored. And while I say, you know, it can be really frustrating and anxiety ridden starting a company or working at startups, it's certainly never boring. Um, and I just, yeah, wouldn't trade that. So fun. Even when it's yeah. crazy, it's fun. So why are you in Colorado and not Silicon Valley as a tech company? <laughs> well, we're climbing. So it's a pretty good place for Colorado. That's true. That's, very, That's true. very true. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very Colorado. But I think, you know, Denver is an amazing tech city too. I think it's in a lot of ways the best of both worlds. You have a really serious tech scene here. You have, you know, um, Brad Feld and his VC group here. You have the origin of tech stars. You have pretty much every big tech company now opening an office here. Google has a big office in Boulder, you know, Salesforce, everyone. But what's also really interesting and you guys can probably relate being from the coast. Well, at least maybe more a Northeast thing. I was very type A. <laughs> Just remember when I first moved out here, um, my boss in Boulder, it was my first day. And she goes, okay, you're good. And I'm like, good to do what? And she's like, go home. And I was like, it's four o'clock. And she's like, yeah, go home, Mary. And I was like, my mind because I was like, but, and I was like, is this a test? Should I stay late? Yeah, like, like what do you know. want from me? Oh yeah, it was just a very odd sensation. But I think Colorado's, a really good job of that work-life balance and I joke that like you know I moved here from Miami Miami's definitely a laid-back city as is Colorado but Miami's like I'll like sleep until nude and like go to brunch and then Colorado's like it's laid back and they're like I'll wake up at four to go on a hike it's just a very different that's mentality that's so true but, it's so outdoorsy yeah. there um, I guess that's a just, good yeah. place for your business for sure that makes sense yeah. how do you feel like you balance your life as an entrepreneur because sometimes at least from my experience I feel guilty whenever I'm not working because I'm like I should be building you know like, how do you deal with those those voices in your head if you have any? Yeah, the good thing is I can justify going climbing because it's a climbing company, which is a good way to like decompress. So that's helpful. Um, I definitely don't do a great job always of maybe maintaining that work-life balance. But I think the other thing is when you like genuinely love and are passionate about what you're doing, it doesn't feel like work a lot of the time. So like, you know, I'll be up sometimes until two, three, but like having so much fun, like designing these things and then Find hearing job from- you love, you know, yeah. you work a day in your life. I was like, exactly. well, sometimes, that yeah, no, sometimes, yeah, sometimes it's, you know, rough, but like the feedback we've been getting from our customers and just how excited they are, that makes you just want to do it even more. So yeah, it's definitely not just like nine to five, but I think it's a good trade-off. Awesome. Can you talk about your support network? Like, do you have a good support network? Do you have mentors? Do you have an amazing family who supports everything you do? Or are you kind of just on your own? How is that? Thankfully, kind of all of the above. So my dad actually started his own company before I was born. I'm still the president there. So, oh, so it's in your to blood. Totally, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I always joke, I'm, you know, half Jewish. And the only way to make a Jewish parent proud is to like get your MBA or start a company. So <laughs> I had to do one of the two and I didn't want to go to get my MBA. Fair enough. So, yeah, for a long time, it was just kind of what I always assumed I would do just because I, that was what I was modeling after. His parents had started companies. So yeah, it just seemed like the natural fit. So he was more than happy <laughs> one did it. Love it. My old manager at Team Snap was the co-founder. So he was also really supportive and actually recently stepped down from Team Snap. So I was joking. I'm very fortunate that 
that happened because he's retired and looking for a project and wow. thankfully Kathy Chan has been part of that so he's like beyond helpful and what was even I think really inspiring about him while I was at Team Snap. Um, Team Snap had this like education stipend um, and I wanted to use it for product design classes, but I was in sales. And so it like made it to my manager who was like, well, I don't know if you can actually use it because it's not a sales class. Made it up to like the director. Basically it made it all the way up to him um, in the company. And he was like, yeah, like if she wants to do that, then like let her do it. <laughs> like I want people that want to try and, uh, you know, expand their careers. And I so love that. Sounds like a yeah, good boss the best like I'll never have a better one than him um, and he really cared about the people and he kind of always talked about like he knew that you know you weren't going to be at team snap forever so however he could help you on your career he was willing to do that so I just got awesome the chills sport. that sounds beautiful <laughs> <laughs> he's also hysterical he's just he does improv it's fantastic so I've been asking this question so far every time and it's a line line to what we're talking about do you think entrepreneurs are born or can they be grown it seems like you've had it in your blood, so. I think people are entrepreneurial, even if they don't realize it a lot of times. So, you know, the traditional, like my dad started a company, so that's an obvious way of being like, yes, my dad was an entrepreneur. Um, but then like my grandfather on my mom's side um, was a principal for a long time. And then post that, you know, started his own nonprofit. So I think he was still entrepreneurial. I don't think you need to actually start a company to have those skills um, and see it around you. So I think it can be cultivated for sure. It's a skill like anything else. Yeah, I, I agree. I think there's no real right way to be an entrepreneur. What sacrifices do you feel like you've made? Like, are there some things where s- some days you're like, man, I you know could have done this better if you know I wasn't so invested in my business or like, have there been those along the way? Yeah, I mean- <laughs> My 401k could be a lot bigger if I went to a big firm, right? <laughs> There's definitely the truth. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that's definitely one, you know, bold passion, not a paycheck for sure. I think it'll pay off and I think I'm doing fine. So it'll be, you know, fine there, but that's one. And again, stability. I think there's some people that really thrive in that structured environment and, you know, work doesn't have to be as much of a stressor. Sometimes startups can be, you know, I've gone through ups and downs. I've been laid off at startups. Hey, twice it's just like one of those things it's <laughs> not very stable yeah no and it, so it's like, the universe you know, sending you a message I'm telling you sure we'll go with that that's how you have to tell yourself right when you're <laughs> how you get crazy. through whatever but gets you, you there so you have a co-founder how did you find your co-founder for this yeah so the way I actually found my co-founder so after that design class I had made a prototype and had interviewed a bunch of climbing gyms as part of the project and sent it to a few of them and one in particular had talked about how they were looking for a similar product at the time when I interviewed him. So I sent it to him. I was like, we just love your final thoughts and feedback. Um, also just out of curiosity, who did you end up going with? And they replied and like, oh, like this looks fantastic. Like honestly, what we want, we actually decided we're going to build something out on our own because, you know, nothing really fit what we were looking for. So like put my sales hat on again. <laughs> I was like, so I don't want to open a gym in Pennsylvania. You don't want to start a climbing app company. Like, why don't we work together? And he's like, yeah, that would be great. And I was like, fantastic. Art. Crap, now I need to build it. So yeah. I <laughs> sent out an email to all of VFA. Um, again, to I think your earlier point where like networks are really important. I was like, so I'm in this spot. <laughs> I built this prototype. I think the climbing industry need is help. Has a, yeah, has like a really big retention issue. I think it's, you know, with climbing being the Olympics, it's only going to keep growing and growing. So I need a technical co-founder. And thankfully the overlap between like millennial and developer is very large. So I got a ton of people reaching out, but why I picked Wes, first of all, like technically he was perfect. So studied computer science at Princeton, was director of engineering at a cybersecurity company, co-founded and served as CTO. Yeah. (laughs) It's another 
SaaS company, also had the climbing side of things. So founded the Princeton climbing team, spent the summer as a climbing guide. So kind of checked. Yeah. And like on paper for sure. And then the thing that really stuck out to me about him versus everyone else I interviewed is when I would tell anyone else the idea, they're like, sounds great. Love it. Let's build it. Like, let's do it. Like everything you say, I agree. (laughs) Let's go. Yeah. Which is not that helpful really. No. And you know, talking it over with friends, like I was looking for a co-founder, not someone to build it. Like if I just wanted someone to build it, I could go to a dev shop and keep the you know entire share of the company for myself. But what Wes did is the entire, like I was supposed to be interviewing him, but he was also interviewing me. (laughs) He was like, you know, have you thought about this? Like, I don't think that makes sense. Like he just kept pushing back on all my assumptions. And so I was like, that's, you know, what I need in a co-founder is someone that can actually, you know, bring that level of expertise to the table and have their own opinions. I think that's so cool what you said about like finding a co-founder who doesn't just agree, but like pushes back against your assumptions. I think that's really important in building a business because if, yeah, if everyone just agreed with you, you wouldn't get very far. So you have a really cool tech company. Now the listeners might be like, oh, well, I don't know how to start a tech company. I mean, how much does it cost to actually launch a company legitimately from the software standpoint? Yeah, and did you raise money? Yeah, talk to us about that. So if you take out my salary, our monthly burn rate is about $18 a month, um, which is essentially... Google. Um, so like getting Gmail and a Google voice number. Um, so it's very, very inexpensive. That's we also, super low, yeah. Yeah. I'm fortunate that BFA has some like partnerships. So we got some like AWS credit, AWS credits and things like that. Um, but it's really cheap to start a software company. Um, so that's, I think one of a big benefit we have decided to try and go the bootstrapping route as long as possible. Um, partially because Sometimes we joke, we don't even know what we would spend the money on if we raised money. Another company I was at in Miami had come out of YC, had raised millions of dollars, including from people like Ashton Kutcher's fund. But we worked out of an apartment because the CEO was like, why am I going to waste the money on like an expensive office? Like that doesn't make you more productive. It doesn't really add any value to the company. So that lean mentality is something that I really took away from him. He was all about if a tool will actually make your job, like you'll be more productive in that job, then I will go ahead and buy it. But like, if you can't explain to me why I'm buying the tool. I'm not buying a tool because everyone's buying the tool. Like that's just silly. That's Um, great. So yeah, we've just been super lean up to this point and yeah, don't really need to raise at this point. For our listeners out there who are, you know, on the verge of starting a business, interested in starting a business, but scared or not sure of what to expect. What, what kind of advice would you give them as someone who's done it, who's going through it literally right now, you know? Yeah. So I think the two things are one, there's literally never a good time. You know, I went full time when the entire industry was shut down, which on paper didn't look good. <laughs> it wasn't a great time to be like, you know, but fully like worked out. Me. So yeah. Yeah. And you know, again, kind of, you know, hindsight 2020, but it actually ended up being a really good time because gyms, I think, you know, knew that they had these problematic software things things in place before, but climbing was just growing and growing and growing. And so engagement didn't really matter. Attention didn't really matter because you just knew people are going to be flooding into your gym. And suddenly the entire industry shut its doors for a moment and they had to, you know, confront the elephant in the room. And they also had time to evaluate new platforms and just kind of take a step back and think, you know, can we do this better going forward? So that's a big one. And then the other one is just what you learn working on political campaigns, which I did. And then also outbound sales is just make a ton of asks and you know a lot of people won't respond but like you don't need everyone to respond I remember when I was getting ready to send out that email to all of UFA I went to my friend I was like oh, I don't know if I should send this <laughs> like it's kind of I don't know it felt weird asking for like a co-founder 
Um, and I was like, and this is going to be like so relevant to most of the people, like I'm just, you know, adding clutter to people's inbox. And as my friend said, he's like, you don't need 20 co-founders, you need a co-founder. So you just need to hope one person that fits replies. And that's been kind of my mentality with, you know, reaching out to gyms, a lot don't answer, but enough did. And those ended up being our pilot. So yeah, I find the best entrepreneurs just, they're not afraid to reach out and get rejected. And of rejection. Yeah. There's a lot. Yeah. Of- Cause most people aren't mean. <laughs> most people won't answer you, which fine, whatever it is, what it is, you know, some people will say no. And then some people will say yes. So it's just, yeah. Now you have a big competitor, right? So tell us what it's like Mm -hmm. taking on an incumbent that dominates the market. I think for a while we did think it would be way too hard to take on that one company just because they were so dominant. But the more gyms we talked to, the more we realized they were really frustrated with this platform. And in a lot of ways, because they were an incumbent for so long, they didn't have to listen to their customers. So a really good reason why the UK has actually been really interested in our platform is our the incumbent we're taking on Rock Gym Pro is based in the US. And there's slight nuances to how the US and UK gyms operate. Um, so one thing in the US, when you go to a gym, you sign a waiver because you waive away your rights, essentially. In the UK, your rights are inherently yours. So you don't sign a waiver, you acknowledge your risk in an acknowledgement of risk document. And Rock Gym Pro won't let them change the name, which like at the end of the day, doesn't really change anything but it just has like always irked them kind of thing. That they're always treated as this almost like second class citizen in some ways. Another one is in the UK, you never, um, or it's very uncommon when you pay for memberships to pay via like credit card or EFT. Everything's almost done by direct debit. And Rockton Pro has just refused to add that functionality. It would take, it took Wes about 15 minutes to set that up on Stripe. And Rockton Pro has just refused for whatever reason. So not weird. I feel like it's like the big companies that just have the most issues with change. <laughs> Yeah, and what we would hear from, you know, gym after gym is they would go to this, it's called the Climbing Wall Association Summit. It's this huge thing where all the climbing gyms go in Colorado once a year in non-COVID times. And, you know, they would have a panel and they would all voice their frustrations about Rock Gym Pro and they would say, okay, we're on it. And then next year it was the same frustrations, just things didn't change. So I think because it was that one company that kind of sat on their laurels for a long time, in a lot of ways made it easier for a new company to come along. Failure is a huge part of being an entrepreneur. How do you handle failure and any tips or advice on how others can handle it? Yeah, I think it kind of goes with that getting used to rejection mentality in a lot of ways. So like I alluded to, you know, a company I was in Miami got laid off, got furloughed at TeamSnap, which eventually turned into a layoff. And I remember uh, when it first happened in Miami, like telling some friends in venture from America, they're all set startups. And they're like, oh, okay, like, let me know when you're looking for another job. And I'll like send some leads, like start talking around. And then you talk to friends at big companies and they're like, what happened? <laughs> like, are you okay? What did you do? Like, you must've done something. Um, so I think surrounding yourself with people that are also at startups is really helpful for that because you just realize that, you know, those big ups and downs are really common. Um, it's a different world. It becomes, yeah. Other people yeah. just don't understand. <laughs> yeah. It's just not as stigmatized. It's like, well, at least you tried, right? Like, I don't know. And it's just kind of par for the course. So you dust yourself off and you go get another one. And I feel like I get similar to rejection. Like you just get used to it and kind of move on. You build that muscle. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think that's so important. So what have you found to be like the hardest part about building your own company? Yeah, I think sometimes it is prioritization because there's just so much you have to do and there's two of you and there's no way you can do all of it. And it's just like starting from scratch. Like when we had our first sales, like, great. I don't have a sales contract. Like I need to go make that. And I've never made that before. So how do I do that? Yeah. Just like learning everything as you go that yeah, yeah. everything. And it's just things that like you'll do someone did one time and never did again. 
like setting up Gmail or just like, yeah, all these little things that you don't need to know except for this one exact moment where you need to know it. I guess if there was like a magic sauce to being a successful (laughs) entrepreneur, like in your opinion, what do you think that would be? It's listening to our customers. So like at the end of the day, if we weren't listening to them and building products they wanted, they wouldn't buy from us and we wouldn't exist. Um, So as we've been piloting, we've been meeting with these gyms once a week to review designs to make sure we're heading in the right direction. We did, you know, user interviews before that to even understand the underlying problems build it out, get their feedback after we build it. Cause once people start using it, then they have more feedback and just this continuous loop. And I think that's, you know, why we're positioned really well in the market is it's built by people that understand tech, but it's, you know, completely influenced by people in the climbing industry that know what they need better than we could ever understand. Yesterday I had this really crazy incident with a client whose website went down. It was hacked. There was a virus, whatever, but it was like consumed hours of my day. So I can imagine you have days like that where you have to put out a lot of fires. You're dealing with technology. How do you put out fires? I think with water. Yeah, (laughs) done. The biggest thing is that, and I think what you learn in sales and really good salespeople do is you just tell people the truth. I think a lot of people sometimes are afraid to tell customers that they don't have a particular feature or something's broken. That's such Um, a good point. Yeah. But, you know, people understand, like they know you're human. They know that these things happen. It's more how you respond to it. So if something does break or it's not what they were looking for, if you can just be upfront and be like, yeah, we messed up on that. And like, we're going to fix it. Then I think they appreciate that. And It's just more how you handle it. Yeah. And we've actually heard that from a a previous guest that we've had. And he was like, you know, when I asked what was going on with like this team I was helping to mentor, they just went silent instead of telling me like, Hey, we're struggling. We're being honest, but like, this is tough for us right now. They just went silent, stopped responding. And so he kind of gave up on them versus like wanting to actually help them, you know, and help Mm -hmm. them recover. And I feel like people just respect that when you're like, to be honest, I'm not there yet. Or like, we're not yeah. ready for that, you know, piece of our business, be patient with us. And we'll, you know, we'll get there. Yeah. And I've seen in sales too, a lot of people, you know, will ask, can your software do X, Y, Z? And, you know, people like freak out and they're like, either say something that's maybe not as truthful as it could have been, yeah. or like kind of they panic. The yeah. Yeah. Where oftentimes where I go, no, we don't do that. They go, okay. Or you go, no, do you actually need that? And kind of like educate them on why that feature really isn't that important. And they go, okay, <laughs> like move on. Like sometimes it's just curiosity. It has nothing to do with like a deal breaker. So yeah. so do you yeah. do you list those rebuttals and you practice answering them well? Or how did you? I always say that good salespeople and good product designers are really similar in their calls. It's just understanding the like underlying question they're trying to get out. So usually people like don't care about a particular feature. Actually, I know they don't care about a feature. It's something that they're trying to get it to solve. Um, so if you can like question why they're actually looking for that or why they need that and get down to like the genuine use of that, usually you can either find another way as a salesperson a lot of times, or sometimes tell them, you know, actually we're not going to be a fit. And I think people really respect that. And sometimes down the road, end up being a referral or as a product designer, then you can actually go and build out that thing. So yeah, um, just getting to the bottom of it. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. Last question best part about being an entrepreneur go (laughs) I think it's all these like really tiny little wins like you wouldn't care about if you were at a big company so like we got a message on our website we built it on Wix like the first person that just like googled climbing gyms off or like landed on our website and I like lost my mind (laughs) (laughs) but like you know at team snap it's like you know, you had millions in revenue. Like you just, I don't know, those little things would have done nothing. If someone was like, yeah, I Googled team snap and found out like, yeah, of course you did. Right. <laughs> like, I don't know, you know, like just lots of little things like that, that just 
are super exciting because it's like something you've built out of nothing and yeah, just become super, super exciting. Totally. Okay. Well, loved this. <laughs> so good. I want to, I, I like now want to go rock climbing. <laughs> well, <I> should. <laughs> Come to Colorado, hang out. I so, hear it's like really a great workout. It hurts, man. I mean, it's yeah. really hard on like the wrist and the forearms for me. It is, but it's more leg. More, it's more of a leg workout. I'm doing, doing it wrong. I'm doing yeah. it. <laughs> so Mary, where can people find you? Yeah, so our website's just hellocapitan.com. Um, that's the best place to learn more. And then you can reach out to either me or my co-founder there. Where did the name come from again? So Cap- El Capitan is the really famous climbing wall in Yosemite. Oh, so yeah. Uh, isn't it the, uh, yeah. the Mac? It's like a version of Mac too, isn't it? <laughs> it, it is. is. <laughs> okay. I was like, I know I've heard. That's the only way we know it. <laughs> I was like, I've heard that somewhere. I'm pretty sure. That's funny. And if okay. you um, watched Free Cell, it's what he went up. So Uh, good. Go watch it, folks. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Mary. So good to reconnect with you. I'm so happy about your company and I wish you all the best. We were honored to have you on. Yeah, thank you. This was fun. Thank you, Mary. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the 40 Under 40 podcast with Caitlin Cromit and AJ McQuarrie. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We really appreciate that effort, and we'll catch you in the next episode.